0: The Car Guys Report is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine opi show.
1: I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on the next Back to You, A Star is Born. You really do think a star is born. I wasn't talking about me. (laughs) It all refers back to you. Yes. And our guest, Deborah Pappas. She's a talent agent who scours the universe looking for talented people to put them in wonderful productions. And I don't know why she wound up here. <laughs> That's on the next Back to You with Steve Baskerville and Howard Sudbury. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an Opie show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com
2: The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to have you along. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and we're back for another exciting episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Uh, Exciting stuff always going on in our... um, car guy's world, and one thing that we always kind of want to open the show with, Lou, is just uh, updates and things that we're talking about, either with our with our cars or with stuff we've seen on the streets and things like that, and I recently saw for sale, parked in uh, somebody's yard, A I don't know what year it is, because I haven't stopped to, to look at any uh, details up close, but... We always like to talk about cars you don't see that often. And this one is a, I think the, I don't know if it's officially called the station wagon, but it would be the Willys uh, version of the station wagon from like the late 40s, early 50s, almost like an SUV or like their version of like a smaller suburban and really cool looking car. I mean, it needs work. It looks like it's someone tried to do maybe like a camo. Uh, paint job on it or something but again you don't see those too often and they're pretty neat when they're fully restored i get a uh, publication called uh, vintage uh, truck magazine and they've had a couple of features on those before and when they're fully restored they're really really cool they're pretty crude because they're basically a jeep that's been made into a uh, station wagon or sort of suv very early like these are like late 40s early 50s and probably maybe into the early 60s too but uh very cool to see that on the road and um I've also been thinking uh of things to do with my Corvette C4 Lou how do you feel about people that put on different uh rims on their cars not going crazy but uh, well, well, you got you, that smile on your face. Yeah, like, okay. Got day two, <laughs>
0: day two stuff. Uh, well, I've got two thoughts on that. The first thought is generally I like all original because yeah. it takes you to that time frame of the car. You get to see the way the designer thought. You get to see the way the engineers thought. So, so if I had a preference, I'd prefer original. However, at the same time, I've seen some cars at the world of wheels where they just spend boatloads of money to make something look like it's somewhat original, but they flatten out the door handles and they, you know, wild paint jobs that you've never seen that looks like a Revlon color chart on the car or different headlights or the hood comes up a different way. And when they do that really well, that can look really good. Now, the first thing you can do to your car, which is exactly what you're talking about to make it look different from every other one that's on the road Is usually a unique set of rims, so so I'm not opposed to a unique set of rims, but I am interested in making sure you keep the original rims in a nice box.
2: Oh, I always keep the originals. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I have I have uh, you know I've put different wheels on my uh, Fiat 500. I put uh, different uh, wheels on uh, both of my Porsches, the Cayenne and the 911. And uh, I'm thinking, toying with the idea of maybe just getting an 18-inch rim uh, to replace this factory 17s on the uh, Corvette. But what I'm looking at is it would be a C6 Grand Sport rim that is made to fit the C4. So Mm. it looks exactly like the rim that came on the C6 Grand Sport. And the thing I like about it is the fact that it's a five... I like five-spoke rim designs. I like the the, the openness of the way they look so you can see more of the, the... brake disc and the calipers and stuff like that and i just like the, the the clean look that that gives the sporty look plus they're a heck of a lot easier to keep clean because we all know what a pain in the butt it is to clean some of these alloy wheels even though that some of them look cool they're just hard to keep clean and i'm toying with the idea i haven't made any hard or fast decisions yet but they're affordable because they're uh, made by companies that that make these reproductions and they're very affordable and i think it would look cool um because my car has the the factory they call them like the saw blade wheels it kind of looks like a circular saw blade and when i was at uh one of the events over the weekend i was talking to my buddy and i said here take a look at my car because he's he's the corvette he's a corvette uh freak. And I said, "You know, are these rims supposed to be pointing this way or the other way because the way they're scooped out um they could be switched around, so you have to make sure they're pointing the right way." He goes, "Well, you're you're on, on the one side of the car, they're pointing this way, and on the other side of the car, they're pointing that way, the way that the cutouts are. And that's the way they're supposed to be because they're just not made to be symmetrical because of the design of their rim. It goes, so if you're really, like, anal about this kind of stuff, you know, that'll freak you out. It'll like you have OCD or something. You, you can't live with that because you know your rims aren't symmetrical now from side I to see side. Now I why yeah. you want to switch
0: your rims. <laughs> so, yeah, okay.
2: exactly. You're saying that. No, I'm saying that that's not me because you look at one side <laughs> of, of the car and it looks fine. Mark will be
0: going to car therapy very shortly.
2: But uh, I did have to ask him about that because I had wondered because I've been checking a car shows like, am I on the right way or not? But um, well, I am OCD. Are you? Yeah. So, okay, well, so I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> my wife would probably
0: say so. But my point is, when it comes to cars, yeah, you are. I do like symmetrical. Yeah, yeah so I, do I. Yeah, I do. I really do. So I guess I am. Yeah. If that qualifies me, I'll be there in therapy <laughs> session
2: with you. I'll uh, invite you over for a yeah, torque uh, a wheel torquing party when I get my rims, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get the rims installed, and then we'll be symmetrical and everything will, it be will fine. relax yes.
0: we'll actually be like okay
2: <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens but i will keep you posted on on my rim ideas here but you'll be glad to know that i'm not going to change the rims on my um firebird i'm keeping the rally two wheels there, that's good the factory rims yeah i was thinking of a tor- And those
0: are symmetrical and those
2: are symmetrical. i was thinking of a torque thrust wheel actually which is period correct for that but um I started looking at some of those at different shows, and I didn't what, really what, like What year is the, 75? 75, yeah.
0: Did they have the honeycomb wheels as an no, option No, I for think the those exam?
2: those came a couple years later, I believe. Those but I'm were a disaster sure. to come. Yeah, and you see it, a lot of people put those on earlier, Yeah, and they just don't look good on an no. earlier Firebird. I, I like the look of the rally w- wheel. It's a classic rally. You know, the rally two wheels, a classic look, and, yeah, I'm definitely keeping keeping that. So no, no concerns there. What, in mind, when is so. that car coming back? Uh. Uh, What year is it? Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, the plan is that when I get it back from the body shop, it's going to go to another place, which I haven't talked to them yet, but I'm thinking that the rest of the work that I want to get done on that vehicle can be done by one place. And with all luck, I should be able to have it for next year's car show season. Okay. Yeah, which isn't that bad because if it's in the winter, that's fine. So, um you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that as well. If you like what we do here on the Car Guys Report, be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report, informed automotive, available online at radiomisfits.com. At Car Guys Podcast on Twitter is our handle, and you can also email us at Car Guys Report. At hotmail.com. We'd love to uh, hear your thoughts, suggestions, rants, and raves. And just, uh, hey, Lou, hey, Mark, you're doing a great job. We'd really like to uh, hear that because uh, we've got a lot of uh, enthusiastic listeners that we know of, and they're excited about what we're doing here, and hopefully, you are as well. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Lou, I don't know if you um, how closely you follow uh, the various auction companies. Of course, there's the big ones. There's Barrett-Jackson, there's Mecham, there's RM Sotheby's, there's, uh, I think, Russo and Steele is still around. There's a bunch of them. Are you familiar with Vanderbrink auctions? No. Vanderbrink is an interesting company. Um, it's uh, run by a lady named uh, Yvette Vanderbrink. And what they do is they specialize obviously in collector car auctions, but they also say their are kind of uh their wheelhouse is collector car parts auctions, older salvage yard liquidations auto-related items, antique tractors, and then they do a lot of estate and private collection auctions. And the thing is about them is they will literally, and I do not it's almost like American Pickers on the auction block, you know, like on the show. I, I don't know if you watch American Pickers, but when Mike and Frank go to somebody's barn or whatever to, to, to pick, which is basically buying somebody else's junk to resell, it's almost as if... Vanderbrink finds a place like the Pickers would go to and auctions everything off. It's almost like a farm auction, I mm-hmm. guess. But the stuff they find, though, they find these collections of these collectors, these car collectors, and they just have these massive, massive collections. And, and most of the time, the cars are not in you know mint condition they're almost like barn finds in a way mm-hmm. or they might be in need of restoration or things like that but it's it, it, she kind of got on the map a few years ago when and you may have you may recall this there was a a, car, a Chevy dealer in Nebraska that uh, the 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 man that owned it I mean he 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 finally passed away he was really old um, and he left behind, it was this very, very strange thing. It was he left behind literally, I think there were hundreds of cars, and a lot of them were literally brand new, but he like parked them in a field. And they were just left there to basically expose to the elements. And she auctioned this whole thing off, and there were cars, there's like a 58 Apache Chevrolet Apache pickup truck, which is a very rare car. And the thing was, in essence, it had been stored somewhere where something fell on the roof, but it had, like, you know, 50 miles on it or something. It was just unbelievable. These cars that were brand new Mm. but, like, kind of, like, left to rot. It was so weird. And it really attracted a lot of attention just because of the unusual aspect of it. And she finds these these people that are selling this stuff and then advertises a lot of the— uh, cars that are going to be up for auction, like on Hemmings. And in a recent auction, it was called the uh, JAB collection. It was a, a man named Jeff Begg, and he was an engineer and inventor. He had a lot of a love for British motorcycles, and his collection contained 38 vintage midget race cars. Along with a horde of speed parts and approximately seventy import and American collector cars, and some of the stuff that was in this um, in this collection, a seventy-five Cosworth Vega, which is you know basically a forgettable car for a lot of lot of people, but a rare car and something that's coming up in value. A handful of uh, Cadillacs, a nineteen thirty-four RIO Rumble Seat Coupe, a nineteen thirty-six Pierce Aero V twelve Town Car. Um, two rare 1986 marco coupes which i believe is a brazilian car um that that uh, was the marco um, mark as it were two tvr roadsters multiple maseratis including uh, a quattroporte uh, sedan and bi-turbo convertibles citroëns ferraris peugeots i mean <laughs> it's just unbelievable and it's just really interesting that how she's able to carve out this this uh, specialty of hers and when you see these cars online like i was looking at some of those maseratis and stuff and they're like you know the the mid mid 80s bi turbos which were cool cars i don't know if you ever ridden in a bi turbo convertible i remember i rode in one like 30 years ago back in the day one was for sale at a at a car dealer and we took it for a ride and i mean now it's probably not as fast as it felt back then but that car was a rocket and you just see these pictures of these cars that they're going to auction off. And you're like, some of that looks like crap. But then you're like, well, maybe it isn't that bad because it's like a barn fund. you got to clean everything off and make sure everything is cool. But it's pretty neat um, what she does. And it, if you're not familiar with it, you can go to their, their website, Vanderbrink Auctions. And just read up on the company, just a lot of interesting things. And they always have some really cool auctions happening. So I definitely wanted to to talk about that just because it kind of fits in. You know, I always wonder, and you probably wonder about this as well, Lou, that, and we even wonder about this when my girlfriend and I watch American Pickers. We're like, how much longer are these people going to be around that have all this junk to get rid of? And, like, how many barn finds... You know every every week or two it seems like online there's like here's a 65 gto barn fine a judge that's never been run or never titled or something but how many more of those in our interconnected internet world how many more of those treasures are really out there that's what i always wonder you know i mean have you ever given any thought to that i mean do you think it's dwindling do you think there's still a lot of stuff that's been undiscovered or what you've got that look on your face well yeah
0: i (laughs) i I actually think there's probably a lot of stuff that's undiscovered and over time you know the internet's helped us find that stuff yeah i think that stuff has been out there um people just haven't looked at it as much and now that there's a market for it that's just gonna drive it as well but uh yeah, I think there's some people who are really car aficionados and you know love their car and kept it under under wraps and
2: You just think with so many show I mean there's a there's really too many car-oriented shows out, I think these days, and think, I think there is? Wait, wait,
0: you think there are?
2: There, I think there's too many. Too many. Yeah, okay. I mean, because you can't. I only watch like two or three because I couldn't keep. I, I wouldn't want to keep up with everything. Okay. and I think there's one called Barn fine Hunter too. I think or something like. Well,
0: that. Well, there's a YouTube channel that. Or, I, or, or yeah. one
2: or yeah, yeah but whatever. But fine there's just yeah, you know, and and it's just like you just kind of like antiques when Antiques Roadshow went on the air. You know, everyone had all these treasures. And then sometimes when they do like uh they'll do a vintage flashback episode where like in nineteen ninety nine they said you know your your Tiffany vase was worth you know eighty five hundred dollars and in twenty nineteen it's worth. 40,000. And sometimes stuff goes down in value. Yeah. And you wonder, why did it just go down as mu- that much? And, and my girlfriend and I will look at each other and go, maybe somebody had like 40 of them in their attic and they hit the market and they flooded the market yeah. and the values went down. And that's what I always wonder like, how much of that stuff you would think that if something like, hey, didn't Uncle Joe have one of those cars back then? You just think that there's so much publicity and so much awareness of the kind of things like this now, that anyone that has anything that they think is worth something would have already brought it to market. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems, you know, the, there's a show coming up where they have a barn find section out at uh, the Muscle Car Corvette National, which is in November of the week before Thanksgiving in Rosemont, Illinois, the greatest muscle car show on the planet. And... Uh, they always have an unveil section, you know, where people are unveiling the car for the first time after a mm-hmm. get the chance. And I'm always surprised with how many unveils they have, kind of like going yeah. along with your theory. It's like, well, how many of these things can still be exactly, out there? Exactly, yeah. And yet they,
2: you
0: know, there appears to be quite a
2: market. Yeah, so. Yeah. well, good. I hope there are stuff out there because, you know, I think back in our our brains we're always thinking maybe there's that barn find for us, too. Yeah. You, know, you never know what, what could be out there. But something you're not going to find in your horse barn anytime soon, maybe in a couple of years, they're saying maybe 2022 will be when it's on sale. Ferrari is getting into the SUV act. Of course, Aston Martin is talking about uh, bringing out an SUV. Maserati has theirs out now called the Levante. Alpha Romeo has theirs out called the Stelvio. We've got the uh, Lamborghini Urus, which I think is probably the, the coolest SUV on the planet at this point. Uh, you've always got the, the the Mercedes G-Wagon, which has been around forever. You've got the Porsche Cayenne and the Macan. You've got uh, the Rolls-Royce Cullinan. You've got the uh, Bentley Bentagia. So basically every luxury manufacturer on the planet has brought out an SUV save for Ferrari, but they're getting ready to um, bring theirs to market in a couple of years. And it's one of these goofy names. I don't know what it is with like Volkswagen, they bring out the Tiguan, and they brought out the, um, uh, the other one that I, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but just these weird um, names, you know, the Touareg. Uh, and, and Urus and these things that are hard to pronounce. You see them. Um, the Ferrari, and I'm going to strangle this, it's the Puro Sangue. P U R O S A N G U E. I have no idea what that means. It says thoroughbred in Italian. Okay. That's what it means. Puro Sangue or Sangue or whatever. But it's going to be Ferrari's first ever uh, SUV. And uh, not a lot of uh, information available on it. They've got a picture of it. It looks gorgeous. It's probably going to be $250,000 their estimate. So that would put it up in the Lamborghini Urus uh, Bent- Bentley Bentagia range. Uh, the Kulinon from Rolls-Royce is still above that. And even a fully loaded Cayenne Turbo from Porsche can get 150 plus pretty quick. So they're going to be kind of slotted in that upper bracket. But we'll just have to see what happens. Um, I'm sure they'll sell probably every one they can make, and they're probably going to be sold out for a couple years when they finally announce that it's going to go on sale. But uh, it'll be interesting to uh, see. They're they're not really talking... Uh, right now about uh, what it's going to have in it or anything like that as far as power, I would expect some kind of a hybrid setup, most likely, uh, since Ferrari actually has kind of been leading the the supercar pack in a lot of that uh, technology lately. But we'll have to wait and see, and by then, hopefully, when the Ferrari SUV comes out, I will know how to pronounce it. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> what happens. But uh, speaking of unpronounceable um, italian supercars we all remember the lamborghini Miura that came out in 1969 i believe the basically the what is considered to almost be the first modern supercar just an absolutely gorgeous car i think i had a uh, hot wheels or and or a matchbox of it and i think Nicolas cage has owned three or four of them over his 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 lifetime so far and this is I guess when you're spending a car, spending a million dollars on a car, I guess certain accessories if they cost a lot of money doesn't doesn't make any difference cuz Euras are worth roughly a million to start right now for one that's, you know, in good condition and not even Concours really, but uh on bring a trailer they do have ephemera and if you don't know what the term ephemera means, it's um stuff that is up uh, paper uh postcards, uh letters, mailings, uh booklets, things like that the that collectors that's the term the collector term for for paper goods basically ephemera and or or it's also been said that uh, it's a term for things that weren't made to last but that's a you know debatable but anyway getting back to the point recently on bring a trailer every now and then they will have ephemera in the form of owners manuals that are on the auction site and recently a uh, Lamborghini Miura P400S Owner's manual and pouch, just the owner's manual and the little vinyl or leather, probably leather pouch that it came in, sold for fifty five hundred dollars. Wow, <laughs> just for the owner's manual, which is pretty amazing. I mean, if you got a million dollars to spend on a Mayura, of course five thousand, fifty five hundred for the owner's manual isn't is a you know a lot of money uh, on a percentage basis. And I guess if you're going to do your own maintenance, you have to find out what kind of oil filter it takes and how much oil. <laughs> was in the crankcase unless you have your private mechanic doing that but uh we're going to feature another piece of ephemera in a, in a future show too that is similar to this but i just find that hilarious that people are spending five thousand dollars on an owner's manual but Wait, it just two, shows
0: two buick uh Riatas right there you
2: there. go exactly but it just shows i mean but you know that's the kind of stuff that a lot of people want though i mean it's like the one thing that you don't have they don't make it anymore you can't get a reproduction you can't Find the only other one that is available, and tell the guy, "Hey, can you make a copy of this for me?" So if one pops up for sale, you got to buy it if you want it. If you're a purist and, and everything, so it makes sense to me, and uh, good to see that uh, that stuff is still floating around and hopefully going into the uh, right hands of uh, collectors. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Like the show, Back to You. Legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville talk about life, food, travel, and long list of things that they don't like. What bugs them? Plus, you never know when one of their many famous pals might stop by. Back to You is an opi show. It's available only on on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Great talk radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that would be RadioMisfits.com. You're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable, and I uh, wanted to talk a little bit, Lou, about some of the famous names in uh, early car designers. We're going to split this uh, up. We're going to talk about uh, three or four of them right now, and in a future show we'll talk about a few other ones. It's really interesting. I get a lot of this information. I've subscribed to Heming's Classic Car. It's pretty much the preeminent uh, American Classic Car Collector magazine, although they recently have merged. They had a pr- publication a couple of years ago that was called hemming's Sports and Exotic Car Magazine, which is really more like uh, European stuff, and I guess they didn't have the uh, subscriber base Uh, for that. So they basically folded that magazine. Then about a year ago, they basically decided to kind of merge that magazine into the Hemmings Classic Car. So it's now no longer titled the Definitive American Car Collector Magazine. And it pissed some people off. Other people were, were saying, hey, this is great. And I'm one of the, hey, this is great ones, because now they're covering classic European stuff as well as, you know, the classic American stuff. So kudos to Hemmings for doing that. And this came out in a recent edition just kind of highlighting some of the uh, famous um, designers. And you'll know some of these names, I'm sure. Howard Dutch Darren. He uh, lived from 1897 to 1992, and that's a long life. Uh, he started in the Brewster Design Studio and with World War I friend Thomas Hibbard. He formed the innovative Hibbard and Darren firm in uh, Paris. He subsequently established Darren of Paris in California and became a designer to the stars. His Packard Darrens were influential, and after World War II, he designed the Kaiser, Fraser, and the sliding door Kaiser Darren sports car. And one of the things he was known for uh, with the Kaisers is he had what they called the Darren dip in the windshield. Are you familiar with that where the the windshield would kind of come to a uh, inverse point in the center and uh, actually, I was at a car show this summer, and someone had a uh, Kaiser Darren sports car their number 162 i believe and this car was all original too it was, ma- it was amazing it was kind of in a wimbledon white with a red leather interior and it's mm-hmm. got those it's got these sliding pocket doors which is totally cool the door slides right into yeah. the front fender yeah yeah like yeah. a pocket door so so cool very cool. And there was a fiberglass uh, bodied car. It was almost... And it was out at the same time as the the, the Corvette was in like 52, 53, I think it 54. was. 54. 54, okay. But let's talk about that. Yeah. Why
0: aren't they doing that now? Pocket doors? Yeah, because you've got all kinds of parking challenges. You know, let's take your Corvette, for example. Those doors are like nine feet wide, and yeah. you try to get out of them, and you
2: can't. It's packaging. Yeah. I'm sure. I, just, there's just no way they could they could make a door with a a, a wide enough opening that would slide into the front. You'd have to have a front fender that would be like 20 feet long. I mean, we're talking about the the, the Kaiser-Darren car. That's a small car. The doors were literally probably not even three feet long. I mean, they okay. were small. I don't know. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, you wonder why they don't do that anymore. It
0: would take care of all kinds of door nicks. <laughs> well, you get in and out of the car. Well, that's why
2: Elon Musk did the Falcon Wing doors right. on the X right, exactly. to try to get around that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, especially you were talking about the the, the Corvette doors are large and the, the Firebird doors are now huge, Now, let's too. look at
0: this a different way. Yeah. You're talking about sliding it into the front fenders. Why not slide Go it into back. the back quarter panel, which you have all that room? Well,
2: because not enough people buy two-door cars anymore. Okay. All four doors. So but I'm
0: just saying, that we're talking about sports cars.
2: <laughs> and then the other thing you did, you could always put scissor doors on there, like all the people do with their Lamborghinis and yeah. their. I, has someone done that on a Viper too? I'm sure oh, someone's put yeah, scissor doors on. or something. I'm sure yeah. there's
0: some yeah. package to yeah. <laughs> change your door configuration. <laughs>
2: But actually yeah, that's the only car I, I know of that's ever had a, a pocket door basically built into it. Very cool cars. And there's always they're always a pleasure to see. I, I remember seeing a, a Some engineer's
0: gonna be contacting the you know, the the my car what is it, uh the car guys report car guys Hot report Mail.
2: at hotmail.com yeah they'll, they'll tell us why.
0: three or four <laughs> engineers are contacting it right now i'll give him telling a us why, why we can't
2: do that here's another famous early uh, automotive designer virgil exner senior 1909 to 1973 after a brief time in general motors art and color section and color spelled o-u-r he uh, headed pontiac before leaving to join raymond Lowy's firm to work at Studebaker, after overseeing designs of those South Bend cars through the 40s, Exner joined Chrysler in forty nine and by the mid 50s he created the forward look uh, with its uh, courageously as they say advanced designs and his gear built show cars were a prelude to the retro style designs he penned in later years and I know you 're a big fan of of that uh, mid 50s um, Chrysler stuff yeah i i think 55
0: was you know you had s- slight tastes of it with the corvette yeah. in six and 53 how it was gonna all of a sudden change from kind of a bathtub type look or uh so i call it sometimes the freight train look yeah. of the 40s and 30s and boy i mean the 55 chevys the you know like going forward i mean just some amazing cars i think some of the designs in the 57 might be the greatest car design mm-hmm. year ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's arguable. And-
2: and that was also, too, the, the, the time of the annual model change, too, where they would literally redesign the entire body every yeah. year to yeah. get you try to get you back into the showroom and buy another car. And they don't obviously don't do anything like that nowadays. You get yeah. a, probably a three- to a five-year refresh where they just tweak the front and rear fascias, maybe change a little trim and perk up the interior a little bit. But you don't get a full-cycle refresh until... You know usually about seven years i think yeah. is the the standard these days so it's kind of like the it's kind of like the classic rock uh or, or rock and roll industry too when back in the day like in the late 60s early 70s you know you'd have all your bands like zeppelin and the stones and doobie brothers and whoever else cranking out one one album a year sometimes even more and now you know in the in the 80s and 90s it became one one album every three to five years then one album every seven years and you know, it's, just, it's just crazy how those life cycles have changed so much but we just uh, spoke about Raymond Lowy uh, where Virgil Exner went to work and Raymond Lowy has some of the coolest designs there's some things that that a lot of people don't know that he designed. He lived from 1893 to 1986, another uh, nice long life there. He was a French-born industrial designer whose work included commissions from Sears, the Pennsylvania Railroad, Westinghouse, the Hupp Motor Company, and Studebaker. And this is some of the cool stuff. Loewy's team designed the Lazy S logo, the bullet-nose models, and the 1963 Studebaker Avante, all classic, iconic stuff. Prominent individual projects included the Coca-Cola bottle redesign, the livery of Air Force One, the Concorde's interior, and the Shell Oil and U.S. Postal Service logos. I mean, what a legacy that is! And yeah. it's so cool that he, he did stuff other than just cars. Yeah. I mean, how iconic is is the Coke bottle and the, you know, the U.S. Postal Service logo? I mean, you see that everywhere. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I just think I'm just a marvel at that because I don't have any real. Artistic ability. I have a sense of our artistic stuff. I know what I like and don't like, and what might look good. But I, you know, give me a pencil or a pen, and I can't draw worth right. worth a darn. And I just, I just have always marveled at, at at people like that that are able to do that and just branch out too from other things. It's just so cool. And um, you know, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's people like that out there today. But it seems like, you know, another thing too that you know my girlfriend and I talk about sometimes is when we're watching. You know stuff from the '30s and '40s, and you see all that Art Deco design. You see the, the the streamlined modern design, and we're like, why can't they make stuff pretty anymore? You know, stylish. You know, now it's just all so plain. And so boring, and i like, and that's the kind. That's somebody, where he was living when he was able to do that kind of
0: stuff. Somebody commented, it kind of stuck in my head. He says, the cars all look like jelly beans. They
2: do, yeah, they do, and that's why, yeah, and and obviously there's reasons why they're doing that, but again, you know, uh, sometimes I, I wonder if I was born in the wrong decade. You know, maybe I should have been been living back in the 50s or 60s when all well, this stuff was. Well, I, I want to <laughs> add to that for a second.
0: There's clearly some amazing style and design. It's usually you have to go somewhere else you know it's not going to be mainstream you yeah. have to get outside of mainstream yeah. but i mean some of the things they are doing in lamborghini or oh yeah sure or, you know even bugatti yeah, it still has the taste of bugatti and and uh you know i look at like the porsche 918 i yeah. mean that technically doesn't look like a porsche you know it looks more completely outside the box you know you think about the uh the mclarens you know those have a very unique different look and style. Mm. So, you know, if we're if we're outside of the mainstream what people can afford the the Fords, the the Chevys, the maybe the Hondas, then then you get into more and more and more. So, yeah. You know, Mercedes got some higher end really unique stuff.
2: But I think um, you know, part of it too is the fact that um I mean, obviously, m- modern manufacturing techniques and mass production have a lot to do with it as well. Because, I mean, those were the days, too, when you would have custom bodies where you would buy, like, a Duesenberg chassis or whatever. And then you would have a coach builder basically make you a one-off or something. Out your, yeah. Hammer out your camera Hammer out your custom body. I mean, it's just it's amazing. But... Um, and one more uh, person, this is not a, uh, definitely a household name other than, you know, the Raymond Lowys and the Virgil Exners of the world, but he's on the list, too. And again, we're going to be covering more of these, too, in a future episode. A gentleman named Amos Northrup from 1889 to 1937 was when he lived. He uh, spent time at Pierce Arrow in Buffalo, New York. The Willie's St. Clair was his first full design commission. He then produced bodies for Hupmobile, Marmon, Ario, and Willie's Knight while at the Murray Corporation and a lot of people I mean those are names you might not recognize now but those are just classic names from the from the time period especially Marmon I mean they they made some incredibly cool cars and fast cars too for the day and Murray Corporation I mean I think they're still around in some way shape or form now but they actually were a body maker um, for a lot of the uh, manufacturers, where they would actually be stamping out the the body panels for various manufacturers, um, Northrup also streamlined the thousand nine hundred and thirty two blue streak and thousand nine hundred and thirty eight spirit of motion were trend setting gram designs and If you remember the gram, the shark nose, what a cool car that was Modern features like integrated fenders and flush headlamps and that 's the coolest thing that I remember about the the gram the shark nose is what they call it it 's got those uh, kind of uh, squarish flush uh headlights right built into the fender just really cool stuff
0: yeah the headlights are up front if you think of an actual shark it kind of has that it's got the tilted yeah the nose sticking forward and then your teeth are behind the nose and it swoops swoops down underneath its chin yeah and the headlights would be up where its nose were yeah Yeah. pushed down the front and the edges (laughs) pretty cool okay mark we're gonna take a quick break here
2: oh that's great time for a few hot laps at the track and we'll be right back.
0: This week on And Friends, friends we talk about mystery about that happens, and, and we uh, uh, you know, action, go forward uh, back uh, next week's history Christmas 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 today. Day, and, and Friends, friends an OPI show, We on the Radio Misfits, Misfits Podcast Network. Network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com
2: big news there's another fine opi show coming to the radio misfits podcast network details are coming soon to OpieShows.com.
1: this is minutia Man with rick and dave
2: i hope you uh, tune in
1: again next week for another episode of that's you dave Oh, Minutia Man. Minutia man! Thank you. Time now for Rick and Dave to both share a story or two about things going on in their lives. Involving the kids, the wives, or both. And now, Rick and Dave. <laughs> I just pressed the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, was the, that was the wrong exit. Uh, <laughs> hang on, maybe this is it. Time now for a collection of cub geekness. Now, this is dude. Just One Bad Century with Rick and Dave. Okay, that's also incorrect. <laughs> <sighs> hey Rick, yeah. um, before we do our next show, yeah. I want you—I want you to read a book. It's called *The Radio Producer's Handbook*. <laughs> okay, um, it's written by—I can't remember the guy's name, but maybe that'll help with some of the technical problems that we had during this show. Okay.
0: <sighs>
1: <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be putting me in charge of the, all the technical end of it. That's the—that's the key. That's the problem here. You wrote a textbook on how to do this. The Tony Lasano Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com.
2: And we're back. So, Lou, I don't know. I know your, your kids are getting older. Um, have you heard the term, are we there yet, recently? <laughs> Usually from my wife. <laughs> Uh, because one of the hottest things going, and I just remember our family vacations growing up in the 1969 Buick with a bag of Doritos on the on the rear deck baking in the sun. Um, <laughs> a lot of the uh, the hottest thing these days for a true retro vacation is. Being able to rent a classic car for your family vacation. Uh, For $200 a day, you can step into a 1966 Ford Country Squire station wagon with the heart of a muscle car and the body of a school bus, as they say. Um, It's just one of these uh, kind of a niche thing, uh, niche uh, market that has uh, sprung up. Obviously, $200 a day, eh, it's a little pricey for a rental car, but uh, where else are you going to be able to get that uh, 1965 or 1966 Ford Country Squire station wagon? There's a handful of, uh, of uh, places, both in the U.S. and in England, and some of these cars you'll, you'll just get a kick out of. I'm already getting a kick out I'm trying to wrap my
0: head around what you just said. So you're taking a 66 station wagon.
2: And you're renting it out. For
0: 200 bucks a yeah. day. And you're going Wherever Route you 66. Yeah. All right.
2: I mean, that's okay. pretty cool.
0: Okay. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, know a
2: lot of people that will actually go out and buy a car to right. do Route sixty six, yeah. or they already have a classic car. Yeah. But if you don't have a classic car, you want to just get that 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 nostalgic feel and you don't want to obviously be committed to it. This is a way to go. This is a an article that appeared uh, in the Wall Street Journal. They always dig up some really unique things. They yeah. talk to um, a place called Maury's Heritage, Golden uh, Maury's Heritage in Golden Valley, Minnesota. They have a, a eclectic fleet of eighteen cars to Tilting towards the sporty and iconic. Their most popular is a 1987 Porsche 911 Carrera, is their most popular retro rental. But then the staff pick, and this is totally cool, and I don't know how they keep this thing running, a 1977 Mazda Rotary Pickup. Wow. One of the early rotaries. Because, you know, Mazda did not only put the rotary in the RX-7. They put it in pickups. They put it in sedans. They put it in station wagons back in the early to mid-'70s. They were notoriously unreliable because they didn't have the, the end tip seals on the rotors, um, on the rotary engines uh, perfected yet. So they would— they were horrible on gas. They would uh, I think burn oil a lot because the, ro- the tip seals weren't good and the, the engines would just self-destruct, but it's just so cool. And I w- and they're still calling it a rotary pickup, so it still, hopefully, still has the rotary engine in it. I could see they could have done a transplant on that, but it better still have the rotary in it. A place in Italy called Slow Drive. They have nine locations from Lake Garda to Florence and 73 vintage cars spread among them, ranging from a 59 Alfa Romeo Giulietta Spider to the Love Bug, a 1979 VW Herbie uh, Mangioni or Mangione Herbie. Their most popular is the 59 Alfa uh, Romeo Giulietta Spider. Their staff pick a 1997 Mini Cooper British Open Sport Pack. It was the first car I drove uh, when I arrived at Slow Drive, said Katie Bassio, a booking agent. It's super loud and very fun to drive. And the cool thing, too, that I was thinking, Lou, that if you do this, you don't have to do it just for a road trip in in uh, in the U.S. If you do it in a in over in Europe, you could drive some really cool stuff that we never even saw over here, you know, and that would be really cool. I mean, if you've got seventy three cars and you're in Italy, they've got to have like something really cool in that, their fleet. Yeah, I mean that.
0: that I I'm thinking of that from a business standpoint. I mean, once you have one of those, you got to be a little bit
2: worried that. You know, well, yeah, you got to maintain somebody, it. Somebody ta-
0: tags it or on the road, and you know, I mean, I think what, usually you don't treat your own car like no, you treat the rental no, car. No,
2: I would think that what they've done on a lot of these cars is, especially the older ones, even like the Ford Squire, um, it, it would have to have like front disc brakes on it. It would have to have the, some of the modern safety things, just for safety features, like you know, like is it disc brakes, maybe a third brake light. Um, Other things modified under the engine, maybe like electric cooling fans or just something to make them reliable. So, you know, they'll have the look. It won't be rusto modded, but it'll have the look of the classic stuff with maybe some fuel, f- uh, fuel, fuel injection. injection. It could be you yeah. never
0: know. I mean, uh, electronic ignition. Carburetors are not
2: very reliable these yeah. days, you know. So, so yeah, it, it, it would be interesting to actually see what they've done to the car to make it reliable uh, enough for most people to, to drive be because a lot a of rental. people. Yeah, because a lot of people driving today wouldn't know, even know how to even start a car with a carburetor. You know, they'd be cranking without hitting the gas pedal because like, oh, that's how I start a car these days. Right. Well, yeah, you, there's a whole learning curve that, that they would have to well, they Well,
0: you'd have to teach them to turn a key. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> that there would you be go. the first thing. <laughs> what do you mean? My smart, my smartphone doesn't work? What? Yeah. I, um, I, I pushed the button once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening here? <laughs> what do you mean it
0: didn't start? I had the keys in the car. I pushed the button.
2: And then there's another uh, place in England called Great Escape Cars in Redditch, England. Uh, Jaguar specialist, perfectly situated in the British Midlands for drive in the bucolic Cotswolds, uh, most popular Jaguar E types. No, no big surprise. And the staff pick. Now, this surprises me. The Jaguar XJS. That was that big coupe oh, yeah. that they put both a six it's and like a V twelve in. It's huge. Yeah, it's it's a cool car. They said people drive E types with high expectations.
0: Well, now let's talk about that car for a second. Well, that's a car you can rent because it's it's going to be reliable. The
2: XJS. Yeah. Well, but, but the E type, no. Well, they're doing I mean, they're in England, so they should know how to how to maintain these things. Yeah, because they're broken on the road but all the, the time. But the XJS was fuel-injected. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But, but they said they have no expectations with the XJS. Customers often want to buy one after they've driven one. I looked at an XJS many, many, many years ago, and actually it's rumored that my DB7 Aston Martin was the successor to the XJS Jaguar because it's basically a very similar chassis, and it was laid out the same and and actually it looks a lot like the subsequent x j um or x k uh jaguar that came out around the same time but x j s is i mean they're okay i mean they're they're cheap though if you want a, if you want a classic card and you only't have to rent one you can buy them they're yeah. they're pretty cheap right now. Now, well,
0: now before people what's the email again
2: uh, car guys report at hotmail.com. Before everybody emails saying, Lou, no, my
0: E-type's been running for years and years and years. That's absolutely true. If you know how to maintain them, they'll last. I get it. But generally speaking, those cars had some challenges to them. And I'm just using. Oh, the, totally. I'm using yeah, the an knowledge of. We're talking about a classic car rental company. So we're not talking about the guy who knows how to maintain it and has the manual and understands everything about the spark plugs. We're talking about the person who's just going to get on it and potentially beat on it and bring it back to the shop. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, things that you have to kind of um, question, but I think it's a good idea, and I think it's a valid – I mean, you're you're the businessman, Lou. I mean, I think it's a valid business uh, uh, plan, you know, and if you pick the right cars – I mean i i think other than the 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 exotics other than a porsche because they are pretty reliable i think something like you know the classic american stuff i mean you could you could have a fleet you could have a couple of 57 chevys you could have a mid-60s corvette you could have um you know any number of other fords or um you know mustangs or uh, mopars and stuff and i think you could have a pretty good collection there that people would be interested in renting out and i think by and large, I think most of the cars would be would be pretty reliable for everybody. I mean, that's just my take on it.
0: Yeah. Uh, it goes back to something we started where you, if you do some of the things for, you know, you, you, you do fuel injection, you do something like... Uh,
2: radial tires, front disc brakes. Radial tires, front disc brakes, yeah. and
0: then you electronic ignition. Yeah. So you eliminate distributors and rotors and yeah. things like that. So they're not dying on the road somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that's, you know, and again, it... it, it you talked about it, you know, safety, 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 yeah. safety. So if you can make it safety versus body roll of a 57 Chevy and you're not used to turning the wheel 15 times to make it go halfway yeah. through the left turn. And
2: obviously you'd have to have seatbelts in all those cars too. Which
0: you didn't have in a 57 yeah. Chevy. Yeah. I mean, you you it was, to put those you know, in back in the day, you yeah. you actually took the seatbelts and stuck them under the seats. Well, so they didn't
2: have, have them have, in 57. Right.
0: But I'm just saying that when you finally did have a seatbelt oh, yeah, you in the wear 60s, yeah, you'd, exactly. you'd stuff them in the seats yeah. and be like, almost what an irritation these things yeah. are. I just sat on a seatbelt, for God's sakes. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so it'd be interesting.
2: So definitely something to think about for your next uh, summer road trip. Look into the uh, phenomenon of renting a classic car for your summer vacation. If you like what we do here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and we certainly uh, hope that you do enjoy our uh, podcast here, you can uh, listen, subscribe, and rate us. You can check us out by searching for Radio Misfits or the Car Guys Report on any of these platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All you have to do is search, like I said, for Radio Misfits or the Car Guys Report. And when you uh, do find us and listen to us, you uh, can subscribe to us as well. You will get an uh, automatic note notification anytime there's new uh, content from the Car Guys Report. And you can also take a few moments to rate us as well. We'd love to uh, have some more five star reviews as we have on Apple Podcasts and certainly uh, appreciate you taking the time to rate us. After you've uh, listened to our podcast and the best thing to remember about anything that you get on the radio misfits podcast network, it's totally free and it's listening on your schedule anytime, anywhere, any way you want. You can fast forward, rewind and uh, replay at your leisure. That's what podcasting is all about. And this podcast is called the car guys Report: informed automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And it's the time of the show where Lou gets to uh, toot his own car horse as it were and talk a little bit about uh, my car story with Lou his popular YouTube channel that if you still haven't checked it out please do. he's got over 1300 videos online of some of the coolest cars you're ever going to see and it just amazes me Lou how you're always able to just dig out all those rare cool cars that you're just not going to see you know every day Well, thanks, Mark. I
0: like that toot your own horn. (laughs) I
2: I was like, that was good. You you are a professional. I get get a a magic uh, thing every now and then. The
0: magic touch. (laughs) All right, so if you've gotten to this part in the the, uh, episode here of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, you'll know that not only do I talk about the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, but we play a little game with Mark. He hasn't seen these answers. Nope. And what we do is we pick three cars on the channel from around the same time. Now, granted, this is my channel, so it's not an overall global choice. It's just what happened when I happened to throw this video up. Did it do well or not? So I'm picking three cars from three different time frames and we, uh, that, are, that were put up in the same week, and we see how they've done. So here's the three. The first one is a 1985 Ford Mustang GT Twister Two. Which is Marty Report certified as an actual Twister Two car, and I don't know what a Twister Two car is. Well, the Twister Does was it have that, well, colored
2: the, dots on no, it. Like is,
0: that? no, this is good. You asked. <laughs> In '69, there was a Twister Edition Mustang, kind of like a Mach One, okay. or a Boss Mustang, and they called it the Twister Edition. I believe it came out of Kansas City, so it actually had like a little, like you know how the Tasmanian uh, Devil yeah, has that yeah, little yeah, yeah, spin yeah, yeah. to them. Yeah. So it had a little uh, uh, a, a tornado twister and. On the okay. Car. Very, very okay. easy. So, this was a 85 Twister 2 edition. Okay. So, I'm giving you all, all right. the details. All right. So, there's, I'm not skewing any of the things here. And it goes back to what you just said how Lou finds these cars that you never see <laughs> Well,
2: floral, uh, yeah, floral vinyl tops. And <laughs> yeah, mod
0: top, vinyl top, A12. Right. Super B. The next one, <coughs> excuse me, the next one is a 62 Dodge Dart Station Wagon Custom Resto mod. Wow. Which uh, is really well done. So assume it's like a world of wheels okay. car. So All I'm right. just giving you that okay. visual yeah. so to give you fair, fair, fair play warning, here. Yeah. And the last one is a 1970 Plymouth AAR Cuda driven by the Cuda Girl. So is it the Cuda Girl's car, the 62 Restomod Dodge Station Wagon, or the 85 Ford Mustang GT Twister 2?
2: Well, let me ask you this, Lou. Is, sure. the, is the Cuda Girl...
0: In the video with her car, the Cuda girl <laughs> is standing next to me, as all car caretakers are, to show her car. So yes. it has to be that one. That one has killed the <laughs> yeah, other two cars. Yeah, yeah the, the Cuda girl. Uh, uh, What's it, the car again? I'm just looking at her. <laughs> okay, so. No. <laughs> so, but well, that could happen too. But the point of the matter is, I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes stuff. So I was driving by, and there was the Cuda girl, and. Uh, I was at Carlisle uh, at the Chrysler Nationals, and I'm driving a golf cart, which is actually quite the honor to be driving a golf cart because usually, you know, the VIPs are driving those. And uh, she was walking alongside. And, of course, my brilliance showed. And I said, uh, where are you going? She says, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the Chargers. And I said, well, hop in the golf cart. I'll take you to the Challengers because they weren't too close. So when she hopped in. Um, I said, uh, so uh, does your husband have a car here? Well, that was clearly not the right thing to say because she quickly showed me her Cuda girl yeah. tattoo, which you will see on the channel, and her Mopar star on her ankle, wow. and then told me, yes, my 70 Plymouth Cuda AAR in green and went through all the statistics of that. So I said, cool. well, of course I have to video you with mm-hmm. your car because this is a great story. Yeah. It gets a little bit better, though. So we get done with the video. We have to move her car to a position where—because it's kind of parking lot-like-ish. So I can't get the side of the car. So we moved the car to a spot where I could walk all the way around the car. Her husband, Mark, came with. It was a great time. And uh, I said, uh, Mark, I'm going to take the Cuda girl, and we're going to go to see those chargers like I originally went to pick her up. He says, okay, great. So he gets in the car, and she looks at me, and she says, uh, follow him. I'm like, follow him? Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, follow him back to the parking spot. I said, okay, fine. I said, is there any reason why I'm following your husband back to the parking spot? She says, he's never driven my car before. I want to make sure he oh. gets it in the spot. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. So that that was a nice. That's the cooter girl. Cool. So yeah. So so she uh, nailed it with. Uh, in the time frame that we were looking at, the first week, she was at 12,000 views versus the 62 dart was number two. I was going to
2: say that was my next guess. Yeah, that would three, be number three, two.
0: 3,600, and then the last place was the I think the Twister just because 1, 000,
2: six, any visual clues other than the, well, the, the Twister emblem that it's well, something Well, it had special? the word
0: Twister on along the whole bottom half of the door. Oh, okay. The, okay. Yeah, the word twister actually was there. But, but yeah, when you're looking at a at a fox body Mustang and mm. it says twister, it doesn't necessarily, because you don't know what it is, exactly, first of all. Yeah. So it's not gravitational yeah. towards you. Yeah. So it is more of those rare cars that you'll see on My Car Story with Louie that when you, as a car guy like yourself, you look, You want to get those details Oh, those sure. super rare yeah. things. You go, Oh my gosh, what is this?
2: Yeah. Well, it means some, something to somebody, right. obviously. Yeah. And and there is a rarity and, and a uniqueness yeah. to it. So you can certainly appreciate that. So
0: you nailed it this time. Good. Well, b- it was pretty b- easy. The easy the thanks girl. to the Cuda girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, what else is uh, going to be highlighted uh, up and coming soon on your channel?
0: Highlighted coming up on the channel, I've got a, a 1966 Ford Fairlane 500 uh, that is XL, I believe it is, that's a copper color that just... Uh, the amount of time that people put in restoring these things all the way back to original is unbelievable. Oh yeah. And I, think he, I think the interior matches the car so wow. you have a copper interior so cool. there's things like that. Uh, lots of good muscle cars. I shared with you that we've got a, a Bentley coming up like a 36 yeah. Bentley coming up and There will be lots of fun, good stuff on the channel.
2: Cool. There always is on uh, My Car Story with Lou on his uh, YouTube channel. Check it out definitely uh, when you can because it's definitely worth a visit. Just like a visit here to the Car Guys Report, informed automotive. On the next episode, we're going to talk more about uh, some of the early automotive designers and their contributions to uh, automotive uh, design and a super cool Lancia. That you probably forgot about but it's uh they're out there and we'll talk about which model that is and why it's special on the next episode of the car guys report I'm Mark Vernon along with Luke Hostable. Thanks so much for tuning in. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo, spelled backwards, O P P I H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Radio Misfits.com.
1: The preceding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions.
0: Tony, can you shut up?
1: If you're a fan of the English Premier League, you'll want to check out Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. As you can hear by his accent, Adam is from England originally. Chelsea fan, if you must know. And he's also an expert in soccer tactics and methods. He's the director of coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association. So obviously, he has some incredible insights into the game. Tune in every week. We're on the Radio Misfits podcast network. A Tony Lozano podcast, the no-pie show. And because it's soccer, we never use our hands. Radio Misfits. Podcasting from Chicago. An Opie production for the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Losano and Friends. Losano and Friends is back, and we have an exciting new show, a new episode. We have guests, we have comedians, and we have our regular staff. Hi. That's
2: us. Hi. Hello. Yeah.
1: And if you want more of that, check out Losano and Friends right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs> Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. .com. Com.
2: <laughs> Coming up on the next episode of The Car Guys Report informed automotive Bugatti sees 300 miles per hour in their latest car plus a Lancia sedan with the heart of a Ferrari. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on The Car Guys Report, a Tony Lozano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network.